Several weeks ago, I was approached with the idea that I read a book by John J. Berger and then interview him. The book, Solving the Climate Crisis, Frontline Reports from the Race to Save the Earth. I said yes, I've since received a PDF of the book and I've started reading it. I have an appointment for later this month to talk with John about his new book, why he wrote it, what's in it and what it means. And soon after that I'll have a new episode, so keep an ear out for that. Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. John J. Berger, PhD, is an environmental science and policy specialist, prize-winning author, environmental consultant, an advocate for a swift transition to 100% clean renewable energy. A graduate of Stanford and the University of California, John has written and edited 11 books, including three previous books on climate change. And he's written more than 100 articles on climate change and transitioning to clean energy. His journalistic writing has appeared in Scientific American, the Los Angeles Times, the Boston Globe, and of course many others. Solving the Climate Crisis has won the praise of many people, including Bill McKibben, who says, Comprehensive. Everyone will find at least one useful thing in here that they can do to help. I'm truly looking forward to exploring the book, and more than that, talking with John about why he wrote it, and what he expects or hopes people will get from the book. Next, from the Melbourne Age, we have a story by Lachlan Abbott. The headline for the story is, Victorian fire season looms as out-of-control blazes hit Gippsland. The story begins. Victoria got its first glimpse of the coming fire season on Sunday, when evacuation alerts were issued in Gippsland as strong winds fanned several out-of-control blazes that threatened lives and homes. Four emergency alerts were active at one point on Sunday afternoon for fires near Locksport, Bregalong, Rawson and Forge Creek. The Briagalong blaze on the southern edge of Victoria's Alpine region, about 190 kilometres east of Melbourne, was downgraded to a prepare to evacuate, watch and act alert on Sunday evening, but remained out of control. Briagalong is home to about 1,000 people, but the main township was outside the warning area. Campus in nearby hills were urged to leave as numerous fires were burning. Now we have a story from the New Daily, and it's by... Tess Crandon. The headline for the story is Our mood usually lifts in spring, but after heat waves and bushfires, this year may be different. The story begins When we think of spring, we might imagine rebirth and renewal that comes with warmer weather and longer days. It's usually a time to celebrate. Flock to spring flower festivals, then spend more time in nature. Spending time in nature or doing things outside, such as exercising or gardening, lifts our mood. But this year, with an early start to the bushfire season and the promise of long, hot months ahead, we may see our views about the warmer months start to shift. Next, we have a fascinating thought experiment from the Washington Post. It's by Shannon Osaka. The headline for the piece is What the World Would Look Like Without Fossil Fuels. In any given year, the world produces staggering quantities 
of fossil fuels, roughly 36.5 billion barrels of oil, over 8 billion metric tonnes of coal. The United States alone extraction processes over 100 billion cubic feet of natural gas. When those fossil fuels are burned, planet warming gases are released. All that coal, oil and gas is the reason that September has already seen record high temperatures and the world is likely to miss its goal of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. When climate activists march, chant or stage sit-ins, they are often calling for an end to those fossil fuels. Earlier this month at New York's Climate Week, protesters urged world leaders to end fossil fuels now and sent a letter to President Biden asking him to commit to phasing out fossil fuel extraction in the United States. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres hosted a climate summit where the only nations invited were those ready to commit to no new coal, oil and gas. But what would happen if the world did suddenly stop extracting fossil fuels? And what does that mean for attempts to phase out something humanity has depended on for centuries? Most everyone agrees that a sudden, abrupt halt in fossil fuel production, if, for example, the United States and Saudi Arabia and every other large producer shut down their oil wells at the same time, would be catastrophic. That's a fascinating thought experiment, and you'll find a link to that story in the show notes. Join me now as we shift to a story from the New York Times that has the headline, Monster Fracks are getting far bigger and far thirstier. It then says, giant new oil and gas wells that require astonishing volumes of water to fracture bedrock are threatening America's fragile aquifers. The story begins, along a parched stretch of La Salle country, Texas workers last year dug some 700 feet into the ground seeking fresh water, billions of gallons of it. The water wouldn't supply homes or irrigate farms. It was being used by petroleum giant BP to frack for fossil fuels. The water would be mixed with sand and toxic chemicals and pumped right back underground, forcing oil and gas from the bedrock. It was reminded that to strike oil in America, you need water. Plenty of it. Judith Brett has another article in a series on the conversation, a series entitled Getting to Zero, Examining Australia's Energy Transition. The story has the headline, Too Hard Basket while climate change is defeating our political system. The story begins. When I was first asked to write an opening piece in the conversation series on climate change and energy transition, I wanted to say no. I didn't want to think about what I and anyone else who's been paying attention knows is coming, not just next summer, which is likely to be a scorcher, like the one the Northern Hemisphere has just endured, but one in the summers after that for centuries to come. It may be already too late to save the world as we know it. Coral reefs, low-lying atolls and coastal strips, glaciers, Arctic summer sea ice will all be gone in the near future with predictable and unpredictable consequences for the life that depends on them, including ours. Or should I write, be under threat instead of likely to be gone? To soften the story, no, already there has been too much softening and taking comfort in uncertainty. The focus on rising temperatures itself makes the future seem more benign than it's likely to be. 
what is a degree or two warmer here or there in a linear graph. But linear graphs are not the main story. So on that note from Judith Brett, we end this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now please, if you enjoyed this episode, and I sincerely hope you did, please feel free to share with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, what we should be doing, what we should be saying, who we should be talking to, and what we should be trying to encourage. And beyond that, I urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. And please, I really want to know what you think about this podcast. Don't hold back. Tell me what you think, good or bad. Please let me know. And you can contact me via email at r.mclean, the number seven, at iCloud.com. Please tell me, don't hold back, good or bad. And finally, until we talk again, I want you to stay safe, take care, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now please take care.